0: We are in our Easter series uh, we are in it's called the Passion Week series. So Passion Week or as it can also be called Holy Week, if you don't know is the time between Palm Sunday when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy to Easter. So this is something that's celebrated throughout Christianity and we've decided to uh, take it and break down each event of that week and uh, explore and develop and see where it what we can learn about Jesus, what we can learn about our relationship with him, what we can learn about ourselves. So we are doing some icons. If you notice up here, we've been adding to them every week. So there's one, like, there's... But those little dashes are going that way. So we didn't actually start on Palm Sunday because it feels weird to talk about Palm Sunday, not on Palm Sunday. So on April 10th, we're going to circle back to the beginning. But we have hit Monday where Jesus clears out the temple. We have hit Tuesday morning where Jesus did some teaching. And now we are heading into Tuesday evening. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, you can spin it. Let's do a spin. Can we spin? So good. Okay, thank you. And, um, Nate, I didn't tell you I was doing this, and I apologize if you need to adjust the cameras. That's on me, and I apologize. Uh, so we are on Tuesday evening. There's been a lot going on for Jesus already in the lead-up to Tuesday evening. Uh, and not only is there a lot going on, there's, I'm just gonna, I'm sorry, I feel off-centered, and I just need to, there we go. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna pull it together, guys. You just wait for it. It's gonna be good. There's a lot going on for him. Uh, not only has he had these moments of teaching and, of, and all this, there's just, he knows something that the rest of the world does not. Or that they maybe know a little bit of but don't fully understand. And that is that his time on earth is short. He's coming to the end of his time, uh, of his earthly ministry. In not many days he will be condemned to die uh, for sins, for crimes he did not commit. And his time is short, and I don't know if it felt precious to him, but as I think about this Passion Week, this Holy Week, the time feels precious. His time on earth, his time left with the believers feels precious to me. So today we are going to read from Tuesday night from Mark 14. So if you have your Bibles, you can uh, open to Mark 14. If you want an actual Bible, there's some in front of you. Or you can open up your phone to the Version app. You can go to events, and underneath there... Oh, Pastor Tracy brought me extra tape in case my tape dies. She's so amazing. Uh, So you can go to events and find all of the scriptures for today there. So let's read from Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So you can also read about the anointing this anointing of Jesus in Matthew 26 and in John 12, and if you're in U version, you'll see that I actually included those. If you feel like skimming them for yourself today, uh, they each include just a few different details, and um, you know you might wonder why, they all include slightly different details, but John is the only author that names the woman as Mary. So we know actually that this woman's name is Mary. Matthew and Mark say that the oil was poured on Jesus' head, while John says it was only poured on his feet. And there are other slight differences as as well. So why the differences? Well, because it's three different people telling the account of an event. Uh, Just because the Bible tells something slightly differently doesn't mean the Bible is inaccurate. It means it is three different people recording at a different event. Matthew, Mark, and John have differing details, but they don't actually contradict one another, and in fact, they largely agree with each other. So we're going to take all three of these accounts and kind of pull out the details to get a full picture of what actually happened. It was like if all of us were at a dinner. And we all saw something happen, and then we went and recounted it later. There would be different points of emphasis for each of us. We would each be like, oh, did you see how this happened? Did you see how this happened? And we would make it uh, emphasize for our narrative. That's what's happening here. So before we get too far into this, I just want to acknowledge that there are a lot of Marys in the Bible. Has anyone ever considered this, that there are a lot of Marys in the Bible? So it's like the Jens and Jennies and Jennifers of the 80s and 90s. Like, who is which? I don't know. So... I like a chart. And so here we go. We're just going to break down the Marys of the Bible so we know who we're talking about today. So we have Mary, the mother of Jesus. I'm sure you're all fairly familiar with her. She's the one that gave birth to Jesus. She's the Virgin Mary. She is, oh, I actually put these in order. I didn't mean to. She is not the Mary from today's story. We also have Mary of Magdalene. Probably lots of you are familiar with her. Some of you maybe even thought this was the Mary we're talking about. She is not. She is from the town of Magdala. She was a very wealthy woman. Uh, She was um, cast free of demons from Jesus and she dedicated her whole life to following him out of gratitude and she supported him financially. But she is not the Mary from today's story. That's why we have extra tape. We have Mary, the wife of... Clopas? Uh, We see Mary. She is at the foot of the cross. You can find her in John 19. She's in the company of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene. They're like the three Marys that meet at the foot of the cross. She also supported Jesus. She provided meeting places for him, and after his death, continued to provide meeting places. She is not the Mary from today. And then we have Mary, the mother of Mark. Oh, sorry, I missed this up. Mary, the mother of Mark. She's the one that provided the meeting places. And she also is not the Mary from today, but we do have a Mary for today, and that is Mary of Bethany, and here she is. So that is just a quick refresher. There are a lot of Marys, they are all different. They are not all the same. You might have been under the impression that when they're talking about Mary, there was like Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then all the rest of the Marys are the same. That's not actually true. They are all a little bit different. So who is Mary of Bethany? Well, she is the sister of Lazarus and Martha, and they were friends of Jesus. We don't know exactly how this friendship developed. The Bible doesn't really tell us. But we do know that they had a close relationship with him. John 11, 5 says, uh, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. They were friends of Jesus. He loved them so much that when Lazarus, Mary's brother, died, Jesus came and brought him back from the dead. uh, Lazarus had been dead and buried for four days when Jesus arrived and raised him from the dead. And you can read about that in John 11. Uh, If you're familiar with the Bible, if you've spent some time in it, you're also going to recognize this Mary from the story of Mary and Martha. Now, Those of you that are familiar with the story and are already like, I'm a Martha, I don't care about Mary. Just take a moment, it's okay, just let it go. That's not what we're talking about today. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's probably for the best. Uh, Mary and Martha were uh, hosting a meal for Jesus and Martha busied herself in the kitchen, preparing the meal, serving the meal, doing all the things that needed to be done while Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and learned from his teaching and spent time in his presence. And then Martha came and said to Jesus, my sister is not helping me. Can you make sure she helps me? And um, Jesus told Martha that Mary had chosen the better thing to sit and be at the feet of Jesus. So that is the Mary that we're talking about today. This Mary that we find in Bethany has a history of sitting at the feet of Jesus. So tonight we find Mary at a dinner, being held in Jesus' honor. It was either at Lazarus, her brother's house, or as in Mark says, it was at Simon the leper's house. Um, There's a little bit of discrepancy there. But either way, she was at this house to help serve and prepare the meal with her sister, Martha. So while Martha is serving the meal again, Mary is up to something different. All the men are reclining around the table, they're getting ready for their meal, they're having their appetizers. When Mary enters the room with a purpose, she has come to anoint Jesus. And I wonder, do you think she felt nervous Do you think she had that feeling when you walk into a room and you know you're going to do something that's just a little bit out there, but you feel compelled, like you have to do it, and you just feel a little bit nervous? Or was Mary the type of person that just didn't care about that, and she knew what she had to do, and she walked in with such confidence? I don't know. I'd love to meet her and ask her, how did it feel knowing you were going to walk in and do that thing in front of all those people? The perfume or oil that Mary anointed Jesus with was very expensive. The disciple Judas points out that it could have been sold for a year's wages. Now, for those of you that have been with us before, you know I love me some essential oils, so let's break down what we're talking about here. I did not bring my pocket essential oil guide today because Pastor Tracy mocked me last time I did that, so I'm just gonna talk about it today, but I did look it up in there. All right, thank you. Nard, or actually spike nard which is what it actually comes from. It, came, it comes from a root of a plant that is mostly grown in India. It was considered a priestly or a kingly oil, and the smell of this oil is said to be relaxing and soothing, and it's actually excellent for the skin, making it really good for anointing your head, your face, your feet. It has a very strong and distinctive aroma, and it actually clings to the skin and hair, and it continues to give off its perfume long after it has been anointed and rubbed in. It symbolizes the very best in ancient cultures, like uh, a Tiffany Diamond would have that uh, feeling today, or if someone said it's the gold standard, that's what this spikenard oil would do. Gucci today has a nard-inspired perfume that you can buy for $375 a bottle if you feel so inclined, or you can buy it from your handy um, essential oil supplier for around $60 per 500 mils. It's still expensive and it still exists today. It's not a thing of the past. The alabaster jar that the oil was contained in was also very costly, leading some scholars to believe that this combination of the container and the oil could have been uh, Mary's dowry. It was most likely the most expensive thing she owned. The smell of the perfume as it was broken and poured out would have filled the entire room. Can you envision it with me being in an enclosed space and the scent just filled the entire room? It's like, have you ever been around someone who has bathed in their perfume? They've actually not only bathed in it, they use the hand cream with the matching scent and they put on the perfume and they probably have a body wash that's also in that same scent. It reminds me of when I used to go to church when I was young and there was just some church ladies and you could smell them. We had a long corridor in our church and they would come in the back door and you would be way at the front and you could smell them. And then the best part was that if for some reason they hugged you, as is wont to happen to church ladies, then you would have the privilege of smelling like them for the rest of the day. And then if my mom is online, she can attest to this, I would come home from church and my mom would say to me, oh, so-and-so hugged you, didn't they? And then she would be correct. You could smell it. So I choose to believe that this smell was not as unpleasant as that church lady smell, but it would have been a very overwhelming, very uh, bold scent that filled the room, would have filled everyone's nostrils that was there, and smells can overpower your senses like no other. I'm sure if I smelled that lady's perfume today, I would be transported to New Life Assembly Petrolia hallway, and I would be like, and I'm not saying this person's name because she's lovely, but I would be like, oh, that's so-and-so. I'm sure I could still smell it today. And I wonder if the smell of this oil for the rest of their lives, anytime they smelt it, took them back to that moment in that, upper, in that room where Jesus was anointed, where they remembered that thing that Mary had done, that anointing of Jesus, if they remembered. Some scholars wonder that if Jesus could still catch faint whiffs of that smell while he was being whipped and crucified, because he likely maybe didn't bathe or shower before that. It would have still been in his beard. It still would have been in his skin. Could he still smell that? And he didn't need a reminder about why he was doing what he was doing, but did it bring him comfort in that moment that I'm doing this for these people that anointed me, that believed in me, that need me to be the savior for them? The smell of perfume that anoints Jesus' feet, it it just can't be taken lightly or overlooked. A pound of perfume, which is what she poured out, it's not a delicate scent. And maybe that was Mary's point. It wasn't inconsequential. It wasn't just a little bit. It was bold. It was costly. It was a move that cost her everything. Return with me to that celebratory meal where Jesus and Lazarus and the disciples are reclining on the tables and Martha's Bustling around, serving. And we find Mary, and she comes before him. Was this one of the first times that she had seen Jesus since she raised her brother from the dead? Maybe, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Was she overwhelmed by this need to thank him? And this is how she thought to do it. Martha Martha was thanking Jesus in her own way, she was serving. But Mary needs to honor him a little bit differently. I want to believe that Mary realized that although the perfume was costly, her deep gratitude and love for Jesus taught her that he was the most costly thing in the room. Mary maybe understood what others in the room did not, that Jesus was worth a lavish, extravagant, act of worship. It was lavish. It was extravagant. It was uncalled for, in some ways, what she did to him. And I i don't know, but I'd like to think Mary understood that Jesus deserved that lavish, extravagant, costly, sacrificial gift. Do you ever place yourself in situations, in stories, in the Bible, and think, what would I have done? What would I have done in that moment when Mary walks in and was before Jesus and anoints him and, and washes her hair with his feet, what would I have done? Would I have been one of the ones that rebuked her and said, you should have given the money to the poor, this is a waste. Would I have missed the point? Would I have, been, would I have rebuked her because I felt shame because I didn't do that or because I felt insecure that I hadn't done it? I, I, done it. I often respond that way when I feel insecure. I lash out. Would I have recognized what she'd done and been called to act in the same way? Would it have been just a little awkward? It might have been. What she was doing was what servants do, typically. I always hoped that I would respond differently, but in reality, I think I would have missed the point. We read that Judas and a few others rebuked her harshly because her gift should have been given to the poor, but Jesus stops them because he understands the condition of Mary's heart. I don't think Mary was indifferent to the needs of the poor. I'm I'm actually pretty certain that if she was a good friend of Jesus, she was not indignant to the needs of the poor or um, ignorant to the needs of the poor. I'm pretty sure it had nothing to do with that. It was about placing value where it belonged and Jesus was the most valuable thing in that room and he was worthy of that lavish gift. Jesus could also see the condition of Judas's heart And he wasn't concerned about the poor either. He was concerned about the money. And Judas would actually betray Jesus for a lesser amount of money than what this perfume was worth in a few days. Jesus cares about our the heart behind our actions. Jesus stops them from rebuking her, and the way they describe it, it was harsh. It was harsh. They were being harsh to her. She had come and lavishly poured out, had poured out the most expensive thing she owned. And then these men that she likely respected that were with Jesus, that she put weight in their words, were condemning her for this act that she had felt compelled to do. And Jesus turns it around on them and he says, leave her alone. She has chosen to honor me. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. Jesus isn't saying you shouldn't care for the poor. That is not what Jesus is saying. But he was reminding them that his time is short. Only Jesus in this moment truly understood what he was saying. He knew that in a few days' time, he would no longer be with them in this way, that his death was coming. It was imminent. He wouldn't always be there with them. And Mary had rightly understood the moment and anointed him for his upcoming burial. Did Mary understand that what she was doing was alluding to his burial? I I don't know. Jesus was the anointed king. He is the Messiah, the Savior, the one who saves us all from our sin, He was the one that would save Israel. He would save everyone in that room from our sin. Jesus Christ is God's anointed Messiah. The word Messiah actually means anointed one, and it comes from the Hebrew word, which means anointed. Jesus Christ, Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which also means anointed one. I don't know if Mary put that together. I don't know if she knew that, but what she was doing was appropriate and right. She was anointing the Messiah. When Jesus receives the Holy Spirit at his baptism, he is anointed by God in preparation for his life's work. I don't know if Mary knew at the time that she offered this valuable gift, but she was the first to anoint the Son of God before he simply became no longer their teacher, but the resurrected king. Mary came that night with a costly gift that she deemed that Jesus was worthy to receive, and she was right. Mary's anointing uh, points to Jesus' role as Messiah, King, the anointed one. But it also points to him as servant because he serves us with his life. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Mark 10.45 records Jesus as saying, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus serves because he loves us. He loves you deeply. He cares about you. He is the anointed Messiah. But he's also the one who in a few days will wash the feet of the disciples in service. Mary's actions foreshadow what is coming in Jesus act of service to his disciples. Philippians 2:1-11 also talks about this and I was going to do it from memory but now I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. So we're going to flip Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the king, but he is a servant to all mankind. Just as Mary uh, acted with humility, Jesus understands Humility. Jesus valued Mary's gift because he knew that she had chosen rightly and that she was doing it from an act of humble worship before him. Mary humbled herself before Jesus. Humility means having a modest view of one's own importance. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We did that in our small group this week. Humble yourself. Jesus understood that Mary was taking a place of humility before Jesus, and she was lavishing him with an extravagant gift because she understood he was the most valuable thing in that room and in her life, always. She did not see her gift as waste Jesus is worthy of our gratitude. He is worthy of our lives. He is worthy of our sacrificial gifts. He is worthy, always. He is the savior of the world, the one that brings forgiveness for sin. He is worthy of everything we can bring before him, of lavish, extravagant, praise, worship, service, everything. He is worthy of everything, Mary worshipped him with this lavish, extravagant gift. And when I talk about worship, I'm not talking about the songs that you sing on Sunday morning. Singing is only one part of worship. Mary worshipped with a costly gift. We worship with our entire lives. Everything we do is an act of worship before God when we do it with a heart that is surrendered before him. It doesn't matter the song you sing, the acts of service you do, the way you help somebody in need. If your heart isn't right, it's not an act of worship. You could sing every song in, uh, I was going to say the hymnal. (laughs) That's an old school reference, but you could sing every song in the hymnal. And if your heart isn't right before Jesus, it's just a clanging gong. It doesn't mean anything. Jesus saw the condition of Mary's heart just as he sees us today. What is your motivation for what you do? Why do you sing the songs you sing on Sunday mornings? Why do you open the Bible and read the word? Why do you help your neighbor who is in need? Why do you serve in Sunday school, on the host team? Whatever it is that you do, why do you do it? Jesus isn't looking to your actions, he's looking at the heart motivation. And the heart motivation should be out of love for him because he has done everything for you. You are giving back to him. Mary was able to worship with extravagant gifts because she had already spent time at the feet of Jesus. So she was already connected to him with a right heart. She was able to be sensitive to the moment and read the moment because she was already in tune with Jesus You can be sensitive to the moment. You can worship lavishly. You can respond as God is asking you to because you've spent time with Him, because you hear Him, because you are in tune to His voice. Mary knew Jesus, and we had that opportunity to also know Him so we can respond. Mary poured out all she had because her heart was grateful. Is your heart grateful? She was grateful for what Jesus had done. He had saved her brother from death. He was her friend. He had comforted her. He was there for her. She was grateful to him. Are you grateful to Jesus for what he's done? In the midst of your darkest moment, your darkest moment, he has not left you. You can choose to be grateful that you are not alone in those moments. It's easy to be grateful When the sun is shining and it's not snowing on the first day of spring and everything is going well, it's easy to open the windows. Like I was in Cuba a few weeks ago and we opened the curtains and the sun was shining and the ocean was going and I was grateful. I was grateful for the gift of Jesus on those days. Am I grateful when I come back to the dark at 6 a.m. to walk my dog when it's snowing and minus 21? Am I grateful to Jesus for the gift of my breath? I should be. It's hard, but I should be. Mary counted the costs associated with what she was doing, and she decided Jesus was worthy. Something can't be wasted if it's worth the sacrifice. What's the cost for you for following Jesus, and have you decided that he's worth it? There isn't a lot of costs associated maybe with being a believer in North America. Your family's probably not going to disown you. You're probably... Not going to lose your job, but what is the cost? Is the cost your reputation? Is the cost your money? Is the cost your time? Is the cost friendships? Is the cost your favorite hobbies? I don't know what that is for you, but what is the cost for you for following Jesus and have you decided that he is worth it? Maury, Mary poured out all she, the perfume she had. She didn't hold anything back because she knew he was worth it. Do we worship Jesus with the entirety of who we are, not holding any bit back? Mary could have taken a little bit of that oil and rubbed it between her hands and grabbed Jesus' feet and massaged it and cleaned it. She could have just used a little bit and she could have saved the rest for something later, for her dowry as it was supposed to be or for whatever it was for, to save, to save up for something. She could have just used a little bit and still anointed Jesus, but she didn't. She gave everything, extravagantly, lavishly, at the cost for her. Do we worship Jesus with everything we have, not holding anything back? Judas saw Mary's actions as waste, but to be wasteful, we must be giving more than is necessary or giving too much. And nothing can be more than is necessary. Nothing can be too much when it is given at the feet of Jesus Jesus leads all of his disciples and Mary to these watershed moments, and they're designed to make us count the cost. It says in John 12, 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You cannot lose what is poured out at the feet of Jesus, because he will return it to you in abundance. You cannot lose what you pour out at the feet of Jesus because he will take it and use it for his own good purposes and will. And isn't that better than anything you could come up with on your own? Do you love your life, your comfort, your control more than you love your savior? There's no measuring the value of Jesus. There's no quantifying his worth. You can't take your heart and put it on a scale and say this much. That seems about the equivalent amount. There is no measuring The worth of Jesus. A heartfelt worship is never merely private. It always spills over into others. So as you lavishly love God, understanding you can't measure its worth, understanding it needs to be costly, it needs to be all of you, it's going to pour over just like the smell of that perfume didn't just stay in that room. I believe it went out through the windows and the people on the street were also smelling it. It was lavish and it spread as you worship Jesus with all that you are holding nothing back that will pour over out of you into people that you meet and it will point to Jesus. Mary gave everything holding nothing back and that is what we are called to do to give everything we have, whatever that means to you, and it means a little bit different to each of us. If any voice tells you to moderate your love for Jesus, don't listen to it. Let your affections for Jesus be lavish. If any voice tempts you to want to be rich in money, don't listen. Jesus is your riches. If any voice tells you your family, your time, your life is more important than your relationship with Jesus, don't listen because Jesus is our everything. Our acts of worship come from the state of our heart. What is the state of your heart today? Are there things in the way that are causing you to hold back in your lifestyle of worship? The inner essence of worship... This is from John Piper, if you want to put it up on the screen. The inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things, and then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. That's how we worship. That's what Mary did. In a lavish, unreserved, extravagant act, she worshiped Jesus and held nothing back. It's difficult to worship lavishly like Mary did when you have things in your life that are holding you back. Pastor Tracy, I'm the team. I'm going to invite you to come back. And uh, I'd like to take a minute It's been a hard two years. And maybe some of you are saying two years. It was a hard 12 years. Let's not not only say it's been a hard two years. Some of you have been walking harder paths for much longer. There's been division. There's been opportunities for distrust and hatred. There's been broken relationships. There's been all sorts of things. It's been a hard few years. And in those times, there's the opportunity for something to come in and just plug one of the holes. Something's blocking your ability to worship Jesus with that lavishness he deserves. Maybe there's a beat of unforgiveness that you are angry with someone, you are angry with the situation. Maybe, maybe you just can't forgive that person that you disagree with. Maybe there's something in your life that's holding you back from that lavish opportunity. Mary came with a pure heart of humility. I want to take some time today and spend some time in worship and ask God, is there anything in my life that's holding me back from worshiping you with that lavish, exuberant worship in word and in deed that you deserve? Lord, I thank you that we can come to you and ask you to examine our hearts. I pray, Lord, for myself and everyone in this room. If there's anything in our hearts, in our lives, holding us back from being able to worship you, I pray you would reveal that. Reveal that seed of doubt, that seed of anger, that seed of unforgiveness, whatever it is, God, that we might come lavishly like Mary did and pour out the very best that we have Thank you, God, that you see the conditions of our hearts. Reveal to us how we can love you better. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us. Reveal yourselves to us. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love.